you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, January 14th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to learn a little bit about one of the Orioles' potential and reported international signings for this year. Now, the international signing period starts tomorrow, that's Saturday, January 15th, and the O's have reportedly come to an agreement with Cesar Pietro. He is a 22-year-old second baseman from Cuba who the O's are going to sign and who has some pretty interesting and intriguing stats and skill sets that the O's are going to get. So to learn more about Prieto, we are going to be joined on today's podcast by Phil Selig. He is a writer and an expert on all things Cuban baseball, as you can find his work over at cubadugout.com. And Phil is going to join us to talk about Prieto, his career in Cuba, and what he could bring to the Orioles at both the minor and major league levels. And then at the end of the pod, we will talk a little bit about some Orioles news and notes as well and quickly touch on the other guys the Orioles are expected to sign when this signing period opens up on Saturday. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, only Orioles podcast out there even during a lockout, even during the offseason, bringing you three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We got new episodes in your inbox. And if you're liking what you're hearing, make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you are a listener on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a five-star rating on one of those apps, that really helps out the pod. But again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we're learning about Cesar Pietro, a 22-year-old second baseman out of Cuba who the Orioles have reportedly reached an agreement with for a $750,000 signing bonus to join the Orioles. Now, Prieto is an interesting prospect coming out of Cuba. As Francis Romero from LB.com reported the signing a couple of days ago because he's kind of an in-between prospect. He's not a 16 or 17-year-old kid who uh, you know has a lot of talent, but it's going to take a while to get to the big leagues. But he's not an established, you know, fantastic late 20s guy in the Cuban League like a Yuli Gurriel or a Jose Abreu who's going to come over and dominate in the majors right away. He's kind of in-between, but he's still a really good player. And there are definitely stats to back that up. At age 21 last year in the Cuban National Series, the professional league in Cuba, in 74 games and 360 plate appearances, Prieto hit 403. That's right, 403. He was the batting champion that year with a 463 on base, a 579 slugging, seven homers, seven triples, 21 doubles, 51 RBIs. He worked 31 walks and he struck out only 11 times in his 360 plate appearances. And those have been kind of his stats at age 19, 20, and 21 
in the Cuban League. A fantastic contact hitter, sprays the ball all over the field, and at age 22 is a little more advanced and might be closer and closer to being ready for the big leagues. Now, he's a smaller guy, just five foot eight, as he hits from the left side and has been a shortstop before, but probably most likely a second baseman as he moves into the pro level in the United States. But the question is, you know, what kind of player do the Orioles have here? And, you know, can they get him to the big leagues fairly quickly? Well, you know, with the signing bonus he's getting, reportedly $750,000, most people expected him to be a guy closer to one or two million. But because he defected from Cuba back in May uh, when he came to Florida on a trip with the Cuban national team, it really put a little bit of an awkward spin on you know how many players are available, when he could sign, when he would want to sign, when would be best for him, and also because the international signing period was pushed back from July to January due to the pandemic, there's a lot more players available, and maybe that's why the Orioles were able to get him for a lower signing bonus. But we wanted to know a lot more about Cesar Prieto, so we are going to be joined here by Phil Selig. He is a writer, expert on all things Cuban baseball over at his site, cubadugout.com, where he does a fantastic job covering the Cuban game, the Cuban national series, the national team, and also Cuban players who come to the States and how they play in the minors and in the majors. And Phil has seen Cesar Prieto play many times as well, not just watching his games uh, from home and the streams in Cuba, but also he has seen him play up close in person many times as well. So Phil was one of the top guys to have on the pod to talk about Cesar Prieto. So after the break, we are going to talk about the Orioles' newest second base prospect. We'll talk about, you know, how good is that league in Cuba for him to hit 403? How does he rank among the other Cuban prospects who are going to be signed in this international period? We'll talk about his offensive prowess, what kind of hitter he is, his defensive abilities. We'll make some major league comparisons for Prieto. And we'll also talk about, you know, where he may start in the minors with the Orioles and how long it may take him to get to the big leagues as well once he officially signs with the Orioles, hopefully in the next couple of days. So that's all coming up right after the break as we are joined by Phil Selig of CubaDugout.com to talk about the newest Orioles prospect, the second baseman out of Cuba, Cesar Prieto. So we'll get to our conversation about Cesar Prieto, the Orioles' new second baseman in the minor league system, as we'll chat with Phil Seelig in just a second. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. And it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Heck, it might taste even better. They've got so many delicious flavors like peanut butter brownie and cookies and cream. And here's the thing, you know, most protein bars, they taste chalky, waxy. They're just not good. Built Bars are delicious. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, and you're eating it, and you're thinking, wait a minute, how is this healthy? It tastes so good. Well, it's only got 130 calories, and it's got 17 grams of protein. So if you're interested and you want to get your hands on some of these delicious and nutritious protein bars, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, so we welcome Phil Selig into the podcast. He is an expert and a writer who covers Cuban baseball at cubadugout.com. And Phil, first of all, thank you so much for taking some time to hop on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
So we bring you on to talk about one of the Orioles' anticipated signings in this international signing period, which is going to open up this weekend. Now, obviously, the things we're talking about aren't exactly official yet, but all signs are pointing to the Orioles signing Cesar Prieto, who is a 22-year-old second baseman, left-handed hitter, who had some unbelievable stats uh, in Cuba over the last couple of years. So first, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, you're the guy who has seen him play. You know, what do you have on the on the scouting report for a guy who looks like he'll be a, an Oriole in the next couple of days? Yeah, so I was I was fortunate enough to uh, to kind of come across him back in late 2018 and was at the game when he broke uh, Kendrys Morales's rookie uh, hits record in the Cuban National League. So he had a uh, had a big uh, big rookie year and then built upon that in year two and then year three, which was most recently and ended in April. Uh, actually won the batting title, hitting uh, hitting 403 and and added a little bit of power and and set the Cuban um, Cuban National uh, Series. Uh, hitting streak record at, at about uh, 45 games as well. So uh, contact machine, um, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's a lot to like there in terms of his ability to put the bat on the ball, uh, kind of above average speed, but not a speedster and uh, a solid glove at, uh, at second base as well. So uh, definitely one of the bigger names, uh, if only because of his exploits in the national series, it going into this, uh, this chock full, uh, signing period, but, um, yeah, Jeff, definitely uh, one of the players I've had my eye on for the past few years, both, uh, both in person and uh, kind of following, uh, on online as well. Yeah. I think the, the first thing that's going to stick out to people is the 403 batting average. And, and this is not over a, you know, 10 or 20 game sample size. This is 74 games, you know, 360 plate appearances, in a season last year where he was 21 years old and he was hitting 403. I mean, he's been hitting over 350 for his entire career in Cuba playing professionally. So I think a lot of people's questions here in the States and a lot of Orioles fans have been, you know, is there any kind of comparison about what level of play is in that league for a hitter, you know, to be able to hit over 400? Yeah, absolutely. I've I've seen a lot of people say that it's uh, that it's you know kind of a high A um, capability. Obviously, I mean we're seeing a lot of players that have made the jump to the majors. Um, the reality is that more of those players are skipping over the Cuban National Series. So. Um, without letting my bias show through, because I mean, one of the biggest things I do enjoy uh, Cuban baseball for the sake of itself, uh, both attending it and, and watching, uh, you know, a lot of the games are shown online now. Uh, so, so I do enjoy that product. It is a little bit tough as time goes on to, uh, to try and draw that comparison. So, um, you know, a 403 isn't what it used to be, but it is still pretty impressive and does show you again, that that skill that he has, um, the, the most unique skill that he has is, uh, is contact um, just for as as kind of a, a barometer on that though I think it was the top 35 hitters last year did hit 330 or above in the league so the pitching was lagging a little bit until we got into the playoffs then we saw that a lot of veteran uh, a lot of veteran pitchers 30 and above that kind of uh, pitched in that throwback style uh, made for a very entertaining playoff so uh, the 403 might be a little bit inflated but it is still impressive nonetheless and and again does point to the fact that he can put uh, can put the bat on the ball. 
Yeah, I had read, you know, that definitely kind of the, the hitting seems to be ahead of the pitching in the league in general. Um, but I know it's it's so difficult to even make that comparison because you can say high A, but I mean, you know, you're, you're playing in two different countries with a different amount of players and, and you know, very different ages. I mean, you got guys that you're talking about in your 30s and high A, you're not getting anybody older than maybe 25 years old. So it's, it's obviously a tough comparison to make but of course you know Cesar at, at, at five foot eight and uh you know a middle infielder now I know he has hit the ball out of the ballpark a few times and he did hit seven home runs last year but it, it seems like and you can correct me if I'm wrong that the the power at least the home run power is not really going to be a big part of his game as he moves up uh in professional baseball here in the states well, so, so his strength is probably more in gap to gap. And we did see that, uh, that he was able to leg out a certain uh, or a decent number of doubles and triples. Um, the one caveat with that is the fact that since even in the short time, so he, um, he, he left the team when they landed in, in Key West, Florida uh, in late May for an Olympic qualifier and, and basically jumped straight into a cab that was waiting to take him, uh, take him away. And since that time has been working out in Tampa, and based on some of the footage that, uh, that we've seen there, it looks like he's probably put on a solid 20, 25 pounds of muscle in that period. So uh, he, he's already added a little bit of bulk to that frame. Now, whether or not that is going to be good for, for him and his approach, you know, so do those doubles or triples turn into homers? Uh, it is possible. And one of the biggest things that, and one of the biggest adjustments for a lot of, uh, of, of Cubans when they first come across is obviously uh, nutrition and, uh, and some of that weight training. So we are seeing a, a lot of these kids that, uh, especially in the past year, that if they disappear for a little bit, um, the first sighting that we have of them, it looks as if they have been spending some time in the gym and putting some of that bulk on. So that could lead to, uh, to an increase in power production, but, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell him based on that versus over time, you know, could that develop, you know, we, we shall see. Yeah, I've been impressed, at least from the highlights I've watched. I know I watched a lot of highlight videos that you've put together as well. Just his ability to hit the ball to left field and and go the other way. And obviously as a left-handed hitter uh, to use the whole field and you have to use the whole field to hit over 400 in any league. But, you know, I wouldn't call him a slap hitter. That's not what he is, but it, it seems like he uses the whole field very well and has very good bat control. Yeah, absolutely. So he has a very balanced approach. And one of the things that you'll that you'll notice is probably the very flat uh, bat plane, which I know that uh, in this age of launch angle, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of coaches uh, don't necessarily subscribe to anymore. And so I, I'll be intrigued to see if they kind of uh, make that approach or if they allow him to stay with that. And basically to uh, to allow him do what he does best again, which is kind of keep the bat flat through the uh, through the hitting zone and uh, do what he should with uh, with each pitch. Yeah, we know, you know, also 11 strikeouts in 360 plate appearances is absurd. And that number is going to go up, obviously, as he faces better and better pitching throughout his career in the Orioles system. But again, he did have 31 walks to go with it. How would you kind of rate his, you know, can he be a, a big plate discipline guy? Or is he one of these guys who, you know, we've seen in the big leagues over the past couple of years where they don't really strike out and they don't really walk and pretty much everything gets put in play? Yeah, I, I think that would be a, a good path for him. <clears throat> and so, I mean, there is the old adage that nobody ever walked their way off the island. But uh, ironically, we've seen a few Cuban players that um, were probably a little bit more free swinging um, when they first uh, showed up, starting to show some patience. I mean, in uh, Yoan Moncada, I know, uh, was uh, was a high on base guy. Uh, even though he doesn't necessarily fall into this camp for the sake he was born in Cuba, but raised in the States. 
um, you know, uh, sorry, a catcher for, uh, for the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal, you know, showed a lot of patience. So um, there, there is a level of that in, in some of the Cuban, uh, in some of the Cuban game, but uh, for every one of those players I mentioned, you do get a, a Yuli Gurriel who, who, you know, lives, thrives off of contact and, and uh, basically, you know, will take a walk when needs to, but it's really predicated on, on putting that ball in play and using his legs and, and making good things happen. And I think that's uh, that, that would be the path for, for Prieto and kind of what he's done in the, in the past as well. Yeah. When you, when you just kind of think of that Yuli Gurriel swing, you almost think of the swings he makes when he kind of sticks his butt out and just reaches that bat out there and somehow is able to poke one into center field for a base hit. But uh, I did want to ask kind of on that point, you've brought up some other names of Cuban players. I, I think it's, it's tough to, you know, parse out here because you have the big names who signed for a lot of money and went to the big leagues pretty quickly. You know, where do you feel like Prieto falls among some of the names we've seen come out of Cuba the last couple of years? And also, where does he fall in just this this year's current crop of players who, you know, are, uh, you know, grew up in Cuba and are going to be signed by some of these major league teams? Yeah, so so that's a good question. And basically, the system we have seen a lot of changes, and um, you know, no two Cuban prospects are ever the same. But basically, kind of that pipeline has really changed. And especially, uh, I've seen a, a, quite a few people and in, in on Twitter asking, you know, if this guy is so good, why is he available to the Orioles for this sum? So first things first, um, this is a very heavy uh, crop this year. Um, some of that is attributable to the fact that um, the international signing period getting pushed back from July 2020 to January 2021 has created a little bit of a backlog. So uh, I like to say it's almost if it's not two signing classes in one, it's almost one and a half in one. So right away, you have a lot of talent that's in there. Then uh, you have a player such as Prieto who left in, in, in June, was declared a free agent in October. And then there's there's more players that left in September. So there's there's going to be a lot of value, I think, there. And, and it's it's putting a, a push down on the uh, on the player salaries. But that being said, we've seen a massive increase in a number of those players that, um, you know, th- that made that that instant jump. But now it's pivoting to the players getting out younger and younger. So to me, Prieto's kind of in between. He's closer to a Jose Abreu in at least having a few seasons under his belt and having success. But that being said, nowhere near as mature a player. So that's why uh, I think signing with the Orioles makes sense if the dollars aren't there, like for instance, you see a Pedro Leon got $4 million last year. Yoelki Cespedes got over 2 million. And even those, those dollars are, are down from their peak, but uh, Prieto, if the numbers um, are accurate, only getting 750,000 is probably looking more at that opportunity in an organization that that's looking for some close to, to major league ready talent um, and, and a, an easier path to the majors. So if he can come in and well, I mean, if we can get through the lockout first, but if he can, if he can come in and um, you know, kind of uh, I, I don't know what their plan would be, but I would assume maybe a quick stop at, at advanced age just to see where he is. And, and then a quick development to double a um, is it, impossible to think that at the very least a September call-up, but if he starts scorching the ball, you know, the Orioles consider bringing him up even earlier. And I think there's a level of that path that, that uh, has to be very appetizing for him in, uh, in, in not necessarily finding the dollars that you would have thought he could when, you know, the rumors of him first stepping away uh, first developed. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You call him kind of an in-between guy because, you know, he's not, 
17, 16, 18 years old, like a lot of guys that are going to be signed just in general in the international signing period. And he's not, you know, one of those guys like Abreu or Guriel who was established and was older and was a star already and could come, you know, almost right to the big leagues. And so it's it's kind of interesting guys that that aren't talked about as much are these, you know, 22 year olds who have a couple of years. And I think the big question is what you just talked about, you know, where does he start in the system and how long is it going to take for him to be big league ready at 22? But, you know, with the Orioles, they've got openings in the infield and that's where he plays. And I, I did want to ask about that quickly defensively, is he a second baseman or can he move around? And then kind of the second thing is, you know, how well does he play that second base position defensively? I think defensively he'd be adequate enough to be a starting second baseman. Um, you know, he was listed as a shortstop early on. He hasn't really played that position. And I'm not going to say that the tools aren't there. You know, for instance, if um, a lesser, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but let's say a lesser case scenario that he doesn't flush out as a full-time starter that, you know, is he, um, you know, a nice utility and, um, you know, a utility left-handed bat. Uh, I, I think his skill set, if you had to move him or if organizational need pushed for it, uh, could play better in shifting to third base uh, rather than short, but maybe short in a pinch. But, uh, you know, I've seen him play enough second base to look at and say, I think there's there's enough tools there. And it's just a matter of, um, as you kind of mentioned that, that, okay, Abreu, Guriel, you know, they're, they're once in a generational type player. So he he's not in that class, but he is closer than some of these other guys. So um, I've seen enough out of the, the skills there that if he makes the adjustments that, that those, those tools are there to make a quick jump or, you know, it could flush out quick. Um, but for the, for the amount that the Orioles are, are investing here, I, I think it's a, uh, it's an absolute steal for them to to kind of find out what uh, what you have there and to quickly either move move up or move along. Yeah, I saw some people when that number was first reported about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars say you know thought that was that was kind of low for for his talent and obviously you've kind of talked about why uh, that ended up being the case. I know you also tweeted right after uh, Francis Romero broke the news uh, that that he was signing with the Orioles that you didn't have the O's on the radar uh, for Prieto. So I was just wondering, was that more of a, you know, there were other teams connected or it was in, you know, the Orioles maybe not being in on players, you know, around his, his talent level this year. Yeah, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I do like to joke um, that uh, a lot of times when these players come through, if uh, if you're speculating on who's kicking the tires, you have a 75% chance of saying either of being correct and saying the Astros or the White Sox. And uh, there was talk that the Astros uh, had a or I had seen some footage that they had had a, a workout with him. Um, but the White Sox and the Astros and being a very aggressive in this market um, are typically ahead of the curve on that. So they've kind of committed most of their dollars. And I think it was a matter of just not having any budget left for, for this type of player. So to that end, um, you know, the Orioles kind of waiting on this, I think uh, it proves uh, will prove to be advantageous for them. It's, it's unfortunate for, uh, for the player. Um, you know, that $750,000 as I mentioned really isn't that much again for a player that if in another year or, you know, kind of before, um, 
before COVID really threw a monkey wrench into the international signing period and, and, and kind of pushed a lot more Cuban talent to pursue this, uh, to pursue this path and previous years might've gotten more money, but again, uh, so in exchange for that, you know, it does look like he's probably got a clearer path to the majors and uh, you know, a quicker opportunity to, uh, to hopefully uh, blaze that trail for himself and see, see, see what he can do. Yeah, exactly. And, and with the Orioles, obviously, you know, they're, they're trying to move the needle in a, in a positive direction starting this year, uh, but they're, they're still not going to be very good in the major leagues this year. And they're still going to have a lot of opportunity for players. And if he comes in and I think you're right about kind of getting that pit stop at high A to start just to see where he is, but he's going to be in double A. And if he's hitting the ball, he might go to triple A. And then once you're in triple A with the Orioles and in, in this current just state of the organization, Anybody can get called up to the big leagues uh, at any time once you kind of get to that AAA level. So we could definitely see. Now, I did want to ask you one thing. You know, you, you don't have to have a good answer for this at all. And it's sometimes a, a bad question to ask. But do you have a, a major league player comp for Prieto? I mean, just from my uneducated watching 20 minutes of highlight video, I threw out the name Luis Arise just because mm-hmm. of the left-handed bat, a smaller body, and and just the high level of contact and the ability to spray the ball across the field. But I was wondering uh, if you did have a name in mind. So I had a couple that I threw out. And, and even as I said it, I wanted to be very careful um, that because one was Dustin Pedroia and the other was Jose Altuve. So, I mean, that's awful lofty. Uh, you know, a lofty uh, class of player, each one of them winning an MVP. So, uh, but more in terms of, of that stature. Okay. So playing second base and basically that grinder being able to do or doing anything to put the uh, putting bat on ball. Um, so, so that's where I went to originally. Now I did see, uh, and actually you mentioned Francis Romero, who, uh, people should, should definitely be following him. So, uh, he, he's kind of the guy who, who breaks, um, all of the, all of the big news. So he has his ear to the ground, but, uh, he made reference to a couple of players and uh, one is a Lidmus Diaz. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily see as much of that. But that being said, you know, as uh, again, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but let's say a lesser case scenario that I, I think a litmus Diaz is underappreciated as one of the best utility players in the game. So um, could Prieto, if he blazed that trail, you look at that and say, that's, you know, that, that, that'd be a nice career hoping for more. And, and again, that, that, that contact is there that you would hope for more, but the other parallel, and, and this may not be relevant or, or might only be for kind of in, in more of that Cuban sphere is, is a chap, Jose Miguel Fernandez, who came up um, and, and had a brief stint in the majors did okay, but is now over in Korea. And, and having a uh, really big impact over there. So, you know, all, all to say, again, you hope the ceiling for, for Prieto, both for the Orioles' sake and for the players' sake, is higher than that. But I see a lot of similarities both in their rise in the, in the Cuban National Series and that skill set. And, and I guess I should also say that the main reason why I think Miguel, uh, Jose Miguel went to Korea, he was quite a bit older and looked at and said that that, that, uh, that starting major league offer wasn't coming. So he's gone over there and made decent money. So that's, that's a path that a lot of players, uh, if, if the major league um, trail doesn't go exactly the way that they want is another path. But again, hoping first and foremost, that uh, Prieto can make it to the majors can stick in the majors and, and then really, um, you know, become, become a high level hitter but uh, there are there are a number number of different paths i think that he could end up taking yeah it's and it's exciting frankly for the orioles to just be this active in the international market i mean it was it was barren for so long uh in baltimore and you know it looks like they're going to make 
three pretty big name signings uh, when this period opens up over the weekend. But Phil, I just wanted to ask you one last thing here before we let you go. You know, I know you're you're up uh, in Canada is where you reside in Ontario. So I just kind of wanted to ask, how did you kind of get to this point in, you know, becoming this invested, this involved in Cuban baseball? Well, yeah. So first and foremost, I guess I should uh, should mention there is a connection to the to the Orioles, and that in Ottawa we did have uh, we did have the AAA affiliate before the Lynx left uh, towards the the end there. So we did get to see uh, see a few uh, Orioles prospects way back in the day come through here. But uh, my story, and and I touch upon that. If anybody wants to check out my YouTube page, um, I have a, a short documentary that I put together that was shown at the Baseball Hall of Fame a few years back, which I touch on it. But it was it was fundamentally it's just a lark, a good friend of mine that I played baseball with had been uh, going down for years and and kind of uh, prodded me to, to finally come down and, and see it and and if it was possible to both be overwhelmed and underwhelmed at the same time uh, I was overwhelmed in the in in the actual large specter uh, underwhelmed by some of the amenities so so it was very much like going in a time machine but uh, I guess short uh, short story long um, as a photographer uh, started taking uh, uh, photos when when I went to the first early games and, and as the internet has opened up they, they started to connect with uh, with a lot of people especially in Cuba but uh, one of the big connectors Jose Abreu played in that first game that I saw so some of those photos um, you know really started to uh, started to catch on and people started sharing them and I looked and went oh you know, this guy is good enough to be the American League uh, Rookie of the Year. And, and so there's there's a connection where I was starting to see a lot of the players before they left. So I saw Yosmani Tomas, I saw Yuli Goriel, uh, saw Yoan Moncada, saw Luis Rober. So so a lot of these players that uh, there's no doubt that I was seeing something that was unique, but then it morphed into... Uh, the acceptance uh, that a lot of the players and the people have had for me and, and in sharing my passion and photos and, and those stories that, um, you know, it, it really feels like when I go down there that, it, that it's like family. And so that's opened some doors. That's why I say there's, there's always trying to find that balance between, um, you know, my love for, for Major League Baseball, lifelong Major League Baseball fan, and, and love to see Cuban players succeed, but also want to see the game on the island thrive as well. And, and, and you know, just that balance for that unique culture that's impacting baseball around the world. And, and uh, just, yeah, just always intrigued to see how those two things interact. Yeah, Phil, it's been, it's been great to, to check out your work. And, and also, you know, it's important for people to know that, you know, obviously we all love Major League Baseball um, and, and, you know, not just the fact that there's a lockout now, but at all times, you know, there is baseball uh, many other places in the world. And obviously I know a lot of people uh, kind of found themselves watching you know baseball in Korea and Japan last year. And, and obviously the Dominican Winter League has blown up more and, and you know, baseball in Cuba as well. So much talent has uh, come off the island. And it's great that uh, you are helping people kind of connect uh, with that league as well. And we thank you so much for coming on to tell us a little bit more about Cesar Prieto and uh, what he can potentially do uh, with the Orioles here. And, and, you know, with being a little older and that skill level a, a little higher, we could see him potentially, you know, this year, next year uh, in the big leagues. And it, uh, it should be fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me and, and uh, you know, keep in touch and keep following along. And, and I think there is even a small window here. Um, if the Orioles do have some money left, there's probably a few other uh, Cuban prospects that uh, they might be able to sneak in on and, uh, you know, fortify that system and, and uh, keep, uh, keep building towards the future. So we're back to the Orioles talk in just a second. But first, betonline.ag would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. This weekend, Wild Card Weekend, 
in the NFL. Two games Saturday, three games Sunday, and a new Monday night playoff game as well. And Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. Not just the NFL playoffs, but everything across the sports landscape. And with a new year, there's a new updated desktop and mobile website as well. So go there, sign up today, and you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to get started and get your 50% welcome bonus. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, and you can do it at betonline.ag, where the game starts. So our thanks again to Phil Selig for joining the podcast. You can follow Phil at Cuba Dugout on Twitter and also find all of his work at CubaDugout.com. Again, he does a fantastic job covering all things Cuban baseball, and especially during this time as the international signing period set to open up on Saturday. Uh, he is getting ready to go. Uh, he's got a tracker on his site tracking all of the Cuban players signed in this 2022 window. And of course, Cesar Prieto looks like is going to be one of them uh, who's going to sign with the Orioles. Again, that reported $750,000 signing bonus and just a, a really interesting conversation there with Phil about you know Prieto's skill level what kind of hitter he is you know hey you know he said that that maybe it was going a little too far to compare him to guys like Dustin Pedroia and Jose Altuve but man you hear those names at all connected with a player and it gets you even more excited and hey you know with Prieto being 22 years old and with him already having hit over 400 in a professional league. Now I know it was compared kind of to high A baseball, but I would expect him to spend a, you know, most of this year probably in double A buoy with the Orioles and if all goes well, maybe he gets to triple A by the end of the year. Now I don't think he's a big leaguer in 2022, but if all works out for the Orioles, he could be a big leaguer in 2023 and who knows how good of a player he is and we know he's been seen as kind of a light-hitting guy who's going to get hits and doubles, but maybe not homers. But as Phil talked about, you know, Cesar's been balking up since he got to the States, and the video of him playing all came from Cuba, and that was, you know, back in, in 2020, pre him, you know, defecting to the U.S. back in May. So at this point, he could be bigger, stronger, and even more of a power hitter from the left side of the plate. So definitely exciting to see what he can do. And honestly, just exciting to see the Orioles involved in this market and I know they had signed Cuban players before and some of them had gotten to the big leagues but in general I mean to get a guy who was hitting 400 in the Cuban National Series and to get a guy who people knew about and could be fairly close to the big leagues again they're not signing Jose Abreu this is not Yuli Gurriel but this is a pretty dang good baseball player who the Orioles are bringing in and you know they are not philosophically opposed to spending in the international market anymore. And that is, you know, the other thing I, I wanted to get to here. Uh, first of a couple of things of Orioles news before we go is, you know, Prieto is not the only guy that the O's are going to spend solid money on, you know, when this period starts on January 15th. There could be many other players the O's sign, as Phil talked about there at the end, because the Orioles have over $6 million to spend. But there's two players the O's have been connected to for almost a year now, and it seems like will be Orioles as well, and two very exciting players 
in this signing period. The first one is Braylon Tavera. He is a 16-year-old outfielder from the Dominican Republic, a right-handed hitter who plays a really good center field, has really good speed and uh, good power coming out of his bat. And he is ranked number 18 on Baseball America's listing of the top international prospects and number 22 on MLB Pipeline. And the thought is he's going to get somewhere between 1.5 and $2 million from the Orioles. And if he does that, it's going to be a new record for the Orioles, who set their old record last year when they gave $1.3 million to catcher Samuel Pasayo out of the Dominican Republic, also gave $1.2 million to Michael Hernandez, uh, the Venezuelan shortstop, the two guys who were the first uh, seven-figure players that the Orioles had brought in uh, in the international market. And the other guy the O's have been connected to is Leandro Arias. He is also from the Dominican Republic, a 16-year-old switch-hitting infielder. MLB Pipeline ranks him number 46 in this international class, and uh, just talking about him like he's a you know a pretty good hit tool from both sides, really good defender in the infield, and uh, you know we don't know. A lot about these guys because they're both 16 years old, but exciting to bring them in. But that's also why kind of Prieto is a, is a different kind of signing in this class because the Orioles are signing two 16-year-olds who they're going to bring in probably for more than a million dollars. And then you've got Prieto at 22 and uh, is much closer to the big leagues and could be, you know, maybe when it's all said and done, he has a chance to be the best player they get out of this international class. And the O's will probably sign some more guys with the money they have available as well. But again, just... Just fantastic to see the O's finally dipping into all the talent that is available when the international signing period starts. And again, it opens up on Saturday. But a couple other pieces of Orioles news and notes before we let you go for the weekend. The first one is an Orioles minor leaguer has announced his retirement. That is Logan Michaels, the catcher who the Orioles signed as an undrafted free agent out of Virginia this year after the 2021 draft. And Michaels came in and actually made an early splash with the Orioles, was the first undrafted free agent, or I believe he was the first player, either drafted or undrafted, from this year's draft that started actually playing in the minor league system. Michaels, the catcher, 23 years old, had a really good career at Virginia, had some big moments, uh, and then he played at both Delmarva and Aberdeen this year, and uh, played two games at Aberdeen, and actually went four for eight, but then he settled in at Delmarva, 15 games, hit 232 with a 279 on base, no doubles, no homers, uh, it was all singles for him, he did have five RBIs, and played really solid defense behind the plate as well, uh, but he posted on Instagram uh, earlier this week, citing some injuries that he's had both this year and over the past few seasons, uh, that just he felt it was best for him to retire from baseball. Uh, but we wish Logan Michaels all the best in whatever he decides to do in his future career. And then there was the other big piece of news, which is that the Orioles are going to be changing the dimensions of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. They are going to move the left field fences back 30 feet, and they're going to raise the fence up 5 feet. It's a 7-foot fence now in left field. They're going to raise it up to 12 feet and also move it back, especially in that left center field gap, about 30 feet. It was one of the shortest porches in left center field in all of baseball and really the highest home run rate hit out there as well. And I think a lot of the thinking is to just help out Oriole pitching. And, uh, you know, they've been burned by a lot of these cheapy home runs out there. I know it 
helps the Orioles some as well and some of those hitters. But I think all in all, you know, Mike Elias and his team looked at the data here and have found out that this, you know, may help the O's. So they're going to do this. And again, you know, I don't love alterations to the most beautiful ballpark in baseball, but hey, if it's going to help the O's and, uh, you know, change is good sometimes. So I'm interested to see, you know, when the Orioles come out with a rendering, uh, what exactly this is going to look like, but it will be done by whenever opening day is in this 2022 season. So next time we see the Orioles play at Camden Yards, uh, it'll look a little different out in left field. But we're actually going to have a a little bit more on that on Monday's episode when we return because we've got a mailbag Monday coming up when we are back on the podcast next week. And one of the questions I've already received for the mailbag that I'm going to answer is about Uh, the new dimensions in left field. And we'll talk a lot more and dive into how this is going to affect both the Orioles hitters and pitchers and their opponents moving forward. But uh, we do have a Mailbag Monday. So if you'd like to ask a question for a Mailbag Monday episode, remember you can tweet us at LockedOnOrioles, DM the account, or email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. And we will answer your Mailbag Monday questions coming up when we return here on the pod on Monday. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.